go ahead and invite you to, oh yeah, have a seat. I'm Scott, I'm one of the pastors here at The Vine, and uh, we just welcome you all here uh, this morning as we uh, get ready to kick off a brand new series out of the book of Exodus. So we're going to be in the book of Exodus, we don't even know how long we're going to be in the book of Exodus, but we're going to work our way through it, uh, and uh, we're just really excited, and the more as I've dug in this week into the text, it just uh, filled me with great joy and hopefulness for what it is that God's going to do through this series called The God Who Saves. The God Who Saves. Now, the book of Exodus, let me give you a little background here. It's the second book in the Bible following Genesis. So you can go ahead and turn there if you want and be ready. Um, though there are approximately 40 authors of the 66 books in the Bible, Exodus is the first of five, which were all written by Moses, known as the Pentateuch. And Pentateuch, in the Greek, it means five books or five scrolls. And so for this reason, it's best to see Exodus as the second chapter in a five-chapter story, which starts with Genesis and ends with Deuteronomy. Now, though it didn't make the English translation in the original Hebrew, the first word in the book of Exodus is and. And. So it truly is a continuation of where it is we've come from. So, in order to prepare us for the reading of chapter 1 in Exodus, we're going to start with a really short review of what comes before. And I'm going to borrow some content from those Bible summaries called the Bible Project to to help expedite this little journey. So the, the book of Genesis, which precedes Exodus, can be best understood in two different sections. Chapter 1 through 11 is the early history of God in relationship with the world. In chapters 12 through 50, it's the early history of God and Abraham's family, which will later be referred to in the book of Exodus as Israel. Okay? Now, in chapter 1 of Genesis, we see that God created the world, and then he created man and woman. And after creating man and woman, he named them Adam and Eve, and then he proclaimed over all of creation this creation mandate. And it's something you've undoubtedly heard before. It's in Genesis 1.28. God says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And after this mandate, I mean, everything was going wonderful. God's relationship with Adam and Eve was moving right along until, yes, we turn the corner into chapter 3 where they rebelled against God by breaking his command, by eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And from that point forward, sin invaded humanity like a virus. And so in the next eight chapters in Genesis, all the way through 11, there is this downward spiral caused by the effects of sin on the human race. But something very important happened in Genesis 12. From that mess of humanity emerged the man Abraham. And and God made a promise to Abraham in verses 2 and 3 of Genesis 12 that reads like this. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So in essence, what God was doing here is he was telling Abraham that through his family, he is going to rescue humanity by restoring to them, eventually, all of the blessings of the garden. 
And it is this story of Abraham's family that is really what the rest of the Old Testament is much about. Now, bear with me as we go now to the end of Genesis in preparation for the reading today. Now, some of you who grew up in the church, you may remember the events surrounding Abraham's great-grandson, Joseph. Okay? Abraham's descendants, they grew in numbers, and his grandson, Jacob, had 12 sons. And out of jealousy, his favored son, Joseph, was sold by his brothers into slavery in Egypt, right? In Egypt. And though they intended this for evil purposes, God had a plan. God sent him there, and by his grace, he raised Joseph up to second in command over all of Egypt. And at the end of Genesis, there is this surprise reunion between uh, Joseph and his brothers where he tells them in Genesis 50, verse 20, that as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Now, the reason he said this is because there was a great famine in the land. And so Joseph recognized that his being sold in slavery so many years before wasn't actually for his harm, but it was actually God's way of saving his family, the descendants of Abraham. And so the king of Egypt, whom Joseph served, granted him permission to relocate his entire family of 70 to Egypt so they could be cared for out of the wealth and resources of the king. And this brings us to chapter 1 of the book of Exodus. So Kim is going to come. She's going to read through it. You can follow along in your Bible or on the screens, and she'll read all but the last verse of chapter 1 in Exodus. So please read it with me, Exodus 1. These are the names of the son of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his own household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramesses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel, so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves." Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shipra and the other Pua, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him, but if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, 
Why have you done this, and let the male children live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because God, because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Thank you, Kim. Good job with all those names. Uh, let's join together in prayer just for the blessing of this word. Lord, we, we thank you for the reading of your word, um, that that's one of the reasons we gather in this place. We gather to hear the reading of your word. Lord, to be underneath its, its teaching, to uh, recognize that they are your words through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, written down by many, many different humans for the purpose of, Lord, letting us know your voice, letting us understand how it is that your revealing power and the works of old all accumulate together in, in, a, in a, a word of life for us. And so we pray this morning that you would speak to us and that we would hear. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before we continue digging into the text, I want to invite you to reflect with me for a moment about a season of hopelessness or a season of discouragement in your life. Okay, so think about that. This could be a season where perhaps things didn't really seem like they would get better. Where there may have been occasional moments of relief, but the overall tone of that season was one of discouragement. Now, some of you may be in the middle of that this morning. Um, Others of you can think back in history and you can identify times that were like that. And probably, for all of us, um, there's going to be seasons like that in the future. Now, what I want us to see ultimately here in Exodus 1 is that it's going to give us hope for those seasons. Because what we're going to learn today emphasizes three main points that I think inform our view of hardships. The first is that God's plan of blessing advances through the past. And the second, that God's plan of blessing advances through pain. And then the third, that God's plan of blessing advances through his provision. So let's look at this first one, how it is that God's plan of blessing advances through the past. Now, To see this, let's zero in on those first seven verses of the chapter. Now, it's common to see genealogies throughout the Bible uh, because to the ancient Israelites, recounting their lineage was a way to remind them of their purpose on earth. So we see in the verses uh, 1 through 3 the names of the brothers of Joseph and others who were all saved from starvation by relocating to Egypt. And so reviewing these names for the original audience, it may have been uh, like some of how some of you would feel if you reviewed your family tree, say, from Ancestry.com. Now, I've never done that before, but I can imagine that doing that, it gives you this sense of connectedness. You feel this, this sense of, this is my heritage. These are the people I come from. And so following this recounting of the family of 70, we see an unmistakable restatement of the creation mandate from Genesis 1 that we read just a few moments ago. And in in Exodus 1-7, we see it here restated, but the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. So in these verses, God is not only connecting the 
the people and the nation of Israel in Exodus to the very beginning of creation. But he's also connecting them with his, with his family, with his promise, with his mandate to be faithful, to fulfill this calling to be multiply and fill the earth. And it's really as though God was saying this. I'm at it again. Uh, My plan to multiply and my advance, it's going to move forward. There is nothing you can do to stop it. Now, one of the things that I enjoy most about being in Christian community is hearing stories of life change from people. That's why all of us really enjoy a Sunday where we have baptisms, because you hear so many stories of change. And in those stories, we hear how the joys and the pains of life eventually lead that person to faith in Christ, and how that faith in Christ brought them to this very moment. But it's interesting to me also how that story of a spiritual journey sounds different for a Christian when they're in a deeply discouraged state, or or when they're working through emotional trauma. In those situations, when you ask someone what brought them to this place, their stories are often much darker. Um, They're recounting past painful experiences, stories of abuse and neglect, or a history of broken relationships. But what's beautiful to observe as God brings healing into that person's life is that something begins to change. Uh, The way we view those past events, it's different. It's as though God begins to rewrite the story or Perhaps more accurately, he begins to reframe that story, helping us to see it as he sees it. You see, as we process our life against the promises of God and in light of the gospel, then we begin to see our history in light of his story. Get the plan words? There we see our history in light of his story. In other words, what was previously seen only as a story of great suffering and loss, it's now, it's now seen as a pathway. It's a pathway of God's redeeming grace. And this is why throughout the story today, you're going to see that it's largely a story of great suffering and trial. But it's always described in light of God's promise his promise to save, his promise to sustain, the advance of his blessing through the descendants of Abraham. And so we've seen, both in the introduction that we went through a few moments ago, as well as in these verses in Exodus 1, how God's plan, it advances through the past. And now look at, let's look at how God's plan advances through pain. We'll be looking, starting maybe at, at verse 8 there in Exodus 1. Let's start there. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Now what might be a more accurate way to describe uh, the king's relationship to Joseph is that he no longer cared about Joseph uh, or his growing line of descendants. History shows, actually, in, in Egypt's history that there was a change of regimes, and with that, there was a a growing repulsion for foreigners. Um, Not only that, but the king made clear in verse 9 that he had another concern with these growing immigrants in his land. Look at verse 9. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. 
Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Now, a more accurate translation from the Hebrew uh, regarding his statement would be this. The nation of the Israelites has become so numerous as to be stronger than we are. So in Pharaoh's mind, the Israelites weren't just a a possible threat. They were a very real threat. They were a perceived threat to to the Egyptians. And and we read about Egypt's response to this perceived threat starting in verse 11. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel, so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Now, what's helpful to see is that not unlike other political leaders throughout history, Pharaoh used fear as a weapon to justify ethnic cleansing, ethnic persecution through slavery and abuse. And again, verse 12 reads that the Israelites, they, they believed this fear. They, they became, uh, the Israelites, I should say, became the dread of the Egyptians who believed this fear. And, and so things were really, really hard for a long, long time for the Israelites but, but as bad as things got, there were a few glimmers of blessing. Look at verse 12 again. It reads, But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and, and the more they spread abroad. So as much as Pharaoh tried to stamp them out, the families of the Jews kept growing larger and larger. The sons were strong and healthy, The women were fertile. Uh, As a father of five, people used to joke with me that all I had to do was throw my pants across the room and Carrie would get pregnant. And uh, God was, uh, was doing that kind of work in these families, okay? There was this glimmer of hope because the families kept multiplying. They kept growing. Now let's take this this thought back for a moment. Uh, Think again of that personal story that I had you thinking about just a moment ago. That experience of discouragement. Um, When we're in those situations, it's easy to become consumed by them. To become consumed by despair as we think about all the hardships we've faced. Now, certainly the treatment that the Israelites were receiving was worthy of despair. Um, Think about all of the brutalities they must have been enduring as they were enslaved and abused by the Egyptians. And yet, God was good to them. He was good to their families. There was this glimmer of hope. There was a promise to hold on to as they were fruitful and as they multiplied. Uh, John Piper, there's this uh, quote that I've heard a few times where he says that God is always doing 10,000 things in your life 
And you may be aware of three of them. Now, I think this quote agrees quite nicely with Joseph's words at the end of Genesis that I read a few moments ago, where he said, What man meant for evil, God meant for good. So how this played out in the lives of the Israelites in Exodus 1 is that their lives were quite miserable, but even in the midst of that misery, God was blessing them. He was growing their families. And as we'll see later in the book of Exodus, their present misery would eventually lead to the most defining moment of God's salvation in all of the Old Testament. And what I want to make clear here is that in their present misery, yes, they could only see a few blessings. But what those blessings let them know is that behind the scenes, God was actively advancing his master plan to reverse the curse of sin and to restore blessing to his people. So so there was a gap there. They, they, They were... Desperately aware of this gap, there was this gap between their human experience and their hope of God's deliverance. But God was inviting them by his promises to fill that gap with faith. Believing that God would be true to his word, to bless and provide. So how does it change your own life when you believe that God is at work in 10,000 ways, even if you can only see three? Do you see how this is the life of faith that we as Christians are being called to live? Now, a little exercise that I'd encourage you to do if you're in a season of discouragement is to keep a journal of God's blessings in your life. Now, for some of you, that's not easy if, if you're going through a particularly hard time. So in that sense, maybe a blessing is simply an encouraging truth from your time in the Word. Or it could be a warm smile from a, core, a co-worker or, or a good meal that you've enjoyed. You see, what you'll begin to discover in dark times as you observe the graces of God that are being extended to you, these small blessings is that as dark and difficult as your journey may feel, there are still evidences that God, he is around you. His grace is present. And these graces, they can remind you that God is actively working behind the scenes in the 10,000 ways of, that he is working to, to use your life and to work through and redeem your sufferings for his good and for your good, and for his glory. So we've seen, we've seen that God advances his plan of blessings through our past, and we've seen how he does it through our pain. And next, let's look at how God advances his blessings through his provision. In verses 15 through 21, what we see is that Pharaoh, he reached a new low. He orders the unthinkable. He orders the execution of all babies born male among the Israelites. And he executes his plan, how? By by ordering the Egyptian midwives to assist in the birth of these babies to simply kill 
all of the male children immediately following their birth. And we read this in verse 16. When you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it's a son, you shall kill him, but if it's a daughter, she shall live. But of course, according to the text, the midwives feared God more than Pharaoh, so they disobeyed their king and they let those babies live. And I imagine angrily, Pharaoh, in verses 18 through 21, he asks, Why have you done this? And let the male children live. The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwives come to them. So God dealt with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Now, we don't know if these midwives are are being truthful. It's unlikely that they are being completely truthful. But uh, they said and explained that these Hebrew women, they beat them to the punch. By the time they had gotten there, the birth was already done. Whatever the case, though, God worked through these foreign women to advance his blessing for his people. And I don't know about you, but I love it how at times when we read God's word, And when we observe the experiences in our own lives, we see that God loves to work in unexpected ways through unexpected people to advance his blessing. Um, This week, my wife, she shared with me a story. She'd seen a testimony of a a guy by the name of Jason Upton on YouTube. And uh, she shared it with me. And and, uh, it's a really beautiful story. The story began when his mother was 17 years old. So this young woman, and she was a young follower of Christ. Um, what, what, how the story goes is she had actually shared her faith with this unbelieving guy, and they struck up a friendship and uh, started dating, became sexual, and, and from that uh, was conceived Jason. And though many of her friends tried to convince her to have an abortion, uh, this young scared girl, she decided that this baby inside of her was a life with a purpose. And so she prayed over this baby and she made the very difficult decision to put this baby up for adoption. And so she, she prayed. And as the story continues, Jason was adopted into a Christian home and he grew up to become this prominent worship leader and a recording artist. And when he reached the age of 32, he decided, I'm going to find my mom. And so he went to the adoption agency And he found that in his file, there was a letter that his mother had written to him 32-plus years before. And in that letter, the birth mother had written prayers over him as she gave him up for adoption. And among the many prayers she prayed, for one, Psalm 27, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and that I will see you there too one day, my son. So as Jason led this, read this letter, he was overwhelmed in awe. He was moved by the fact that the prayers of this young, scared mother had already come to pass in so many ways in his life. And, and he then decided he wanted to meet her, and so the agency put him in touch with his mother, and she agreed, and, and what's really crazy is that in their meeting, he learned 
that she had been going to the prayer room of her church for many years and that in that room she would worship the Father through her son's own music. Long before she ever knew he was her son. Now, the reason I I love this story is because it beautifully illustrates the idea that even in the seasons of despair and fear, God is actively working to advance his blessing in the lives of his people. That as hard as it was in that moment for that mom to hand over her child, she was releasing that child by faith not only to the agency but to the adoptive parents, but even more so she was releasing that child into the hands of her heavenly father. And we learn in that story that God used that act of faith and the the prayers of her to bless that life, to, to bless that couple who couldn't have otherwise had a child or who had the margin to bless that child in a way that she could not. And to bless the scores of others who benefited from that child's ministry. And what we need to see is that God works in unexpected ways through unexpected people to advance his blessing. So how is it that God's inviting you to trust him with your past, to trust him in your pain, and to to trust him as your provider? You know, there's another lineage that's listed in the Bible. It's in the opening of the New Testament. And in that lineage, we see how God advanced his blessing through the past. As Abraham led to Isaac, as Isaac to Jacob, and Jacob eventually to David, and David eventually to Jesus Christ. And in Jesus Christ, we see how God advanced his blessing through pain. As he lived a perfect life and died a brutal death on the cross as a sacrifice for your sin, for my sin in order to grant us forgiveness and new life in him. And from that cross, we see how God advanced his blessing through his provision as he raised Jesus from the dead, defeating once and all the power of sin and death and promising to one day return to usher in a new kingdom where there'll be no more tears and no more crying and no more pain. And do you see, friends, for those of you who are in Christ Jesus, these blessings are also your blessings. No matter your trial, no matter your test, God's blessing can be counted on in your past, through your pain, and in his provision. Let's pray. Lord, Exodus is a term that holds with it deep meaning. In and of itself, we see a word picture, really, or or, or a picture in our minds of what it means to be set free. 
of what it means to leave that which is, is bad and difficult into something that is better. Now we know, Lord, that freedom in spirit does not necessarily mean freedom from the brokenness of this world. We have no promise that suffering will, will end on this side of eternity. And yet, Lord, there is so much hope. There is so much hope to be found in you and in the forward-moving trajectory of your work through your people to advance the blessing of the garden, to restore that which was lost. And we get to be part of that story, Lord. And I I pray for all of us today, no matter where we are or where we, where we sit in our circumstances, that we would have a taste of that today, a taste of the hope, a taste of the blessing, be it even in the small evidences of grace. And Lord, in that gap between our experience and the hope that is before us, fill us with faith. Faith to believe that you are good and that you are doing your good uh, for our benefit, for our blessing, and for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.